0: We are continuing our series on the coronavirus Uh, right after the message is over. uh, I will be praying and uh, we'll also be giving you a few announcements and then we'll have a closing hymn. But as we continue our series on uh, the coronavirus, these are days filled with adjustments and uncertainty. It's a stretching time for each one of us are a lot of scary things that are taking place right now, not only with the virus itself, but also all the attending circumstances, especially the effect upon the economy. Congress just passed a $2 trillion stimulus bill. Uh, people are out of work. The stock market is volatile. The economical impact is yet fully to be understood but we realize it's going to be a difficult time. Last week, we considered the question, where and to whom can we turn into this time of pandemic? We, are, we saw that we're to turn to God, for there is no other. Our text last week was Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. But when we say that there is no other God, it brings to mind the reality that many peoples around the world and even the United States worship other gods. And there are secularists, of course, who deny the existence of God, but even they turn to something for help and comfort and serves as a replacement for trust in God. This morning, we're going to be focusing upon the futility of looking to any other source to do what God alone can do. There is no other source that is comparable to God. Key verse is Isaiah 46, 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? In our text, the false gods are compared to the true and living God. And in that comparison of false gods to living and true God, there is a wonderful picture that is utilized. That is that the weakness of false gods is revealed in that they have to be carried. The true God does not need to be carried. The key idea in this passage is that God carries us. We do not carry God. The key word indeed is the word carry. Notice Isaiah 46, 1-7 with me focusing on the word to carry or to be born. Isaiah 46, 1. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burden on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, Hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it up to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one carries cries to it, it does not save him from his trouble. So in our text, there is this comparison of idols to the true and living God. Unlike the true god, false gods have to be carried. Now note this picture. This is a picture of people carrying an idol of Durga, the Hindu goddess of power, to a pandal or temporary platform in Balur on the outskirts of Calcutta. Let's look at the historical setting of the futility of idol worship in our text. The thought being conveyed is that since idols cannot help themselves, They certainly cannot help others. The Israelites were going to go into captivity in Babylon. They're going to be tempted to worship the gods of the Babylonians, namely Bel and Nebo. Since the Israelites are encouraged to consider the weakness of the idols, Isaiah 46.1, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. Those things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. Bel is the father or lord of the Babylonian gods and the equivalent of Marduk with the names often merged, Marduk, King Belshazzar honored Bel by incorporating Bel into the first part of his name, Bel-Shazzar. Nebo is the son of Bel, whose name identified him as the god of prophecy. He was viewed as the revealer of mysteries. King Nebuchadnezzar identified and honored the god Nebo by incorporating Nebo's name into the first part of his. Ne- Nebuchadnezzar. So what do we con- consider first about Mel and Nebo as they need to be carried? What is the significance of their having to be carried? Well, since these false gods have to be carried, they do not bring comfort and relief to the worshipers, but instead are wearisome and tiresome. Again, note verse 1 of chapter 46. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. These... Idols cannot help themselves. Verse 1, bell bows down, nebo stoops. The fact that these idols cannot help themselves is evidenced by the fact that they have to be carried. Verse 1, these things you carry. And since they need to be carried, they're not a source of help, strength, and comfort. Just the opposite. Rather than relieving the people, Rather than comforting the people, rather than helping the people, it takes a great deal of effort on the part of the people to lug these heavy idols around. In fact, they become so heavy for the people to carry that they then put them on the back of beasts of burden in order for the idols to be carried by the beasts. Verse 1, their idols are on beasts and livestock. And even those animals that are beasts of burden, even those animals with strong backs, it tells us at the end of verse 1 that they grow weary. They are weary beasts, tired of carrying these idols. The point is that these false gods do not remove people's burdens, but actually become a burden themselves. They're not a source of relief from weariness. They are rather a cause of weariness and distress. Since false gods are to be carried, they cannot deliver the Babylonians. These idols are going to be carried right along with the people into bondage. With the advancement of Cyrus' army fast approaching, the Babylonians would naturally look to their gods for deliverance but they are not able to deliver, verse 2. The end of verse 2 says, but themselves go into captivity. Look at this incredible picture. Not only can Bel and Nebo not deliver the Babylonians from captivity, but the Babylonians are going to be carrying these idols that cannot help right along with them, into bondage. Next, the Israelites are confronted with the unreasonableness of worshiping idols. It makes no sense to worship an idol. It is unreasonable to worship these false gods because they're made by human beings. Verse 6. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it a god. These false gods may look good on the outside. They're lavished with gold and silver. But incredulously, the people fall down before the idols that they just paid to be made and worshipped. Or at the end of verse 6, it says, then fall down and worship. Don't they consider the fact that these idols were made by human beings? Don't these worshipers take into account that they paid for these idols to be made? And the answer is no, they don't. Further, it is unreasonable to worship these false gods because the idols have to be helped rather than able to give help. These idols have to be picked up, verse 7. They lifted to their shoulders, So here's this imagery of picking up this idol and placing it on their shoulder in order to carry it, verse 7. They carry it. And once they have carried it to its destination, then they have to place it on a shelf. And once it's placed on a shelf, that idol remains there until someone picks it up again and carries it to another place. Location. Verse 7. They set it in its place. And it stands there. It cannot move from its place. And so, of course, the futility of worshipping these idols is stressed once again. The end of verse 7. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him. From his trouble. Now you say, well, that's all well and good, but what does that have to do with us? Well, let's fast forward to today. Conventional idol worship is not prevalent in the United States. Uh, Most people are not bowing down to a literal figure that they have constructed and they have made. But we as Americans are not free from the temptation to place our trust in things other than in God. And in the United States in particular, there's a tendency to substitute our trust for God with trust in our wealth. People rely upon their wealth to deliver them from hardship and tragedy. People feel secure, confident, at peace if they have a sizable bank account. Conversely, people feel insecure, when their bank accounts are dwindling or come to nothing. Our currency has the inscription, in God we trust. Why was that inscription placed upon our currency? Did you ever think about that? Why? Well, in order to be a constant reminder that our trust is to be in God, because it is all too easy to replace our trust in God with trust in our wealth. We expect our wealth to protect us from hardship and difficulty. The Bible warns against the temptation of trusting in wealth rather than God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it reads, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. What is stressed is the uncertainty of riches. They cannot be relied upon. They cannot be trusted. You can't be sure that those riches are always going to be there. Money is many people's God today. Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. Uh, It is impossible to have one's trust solely in God or solely in money without this conflict between God and money. Again, the motto on our currency is, In God We Trust. But is that true? Or has money gradually become the source of people's trust? People look to money to safeguard them, to protect them. But trusting in money is a false hope. Money can't hold us up. Proverbs 11.28 states, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Psalm 52.7 states, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Trusting in riches will ultimately fail us. Like the idols of old, we must carry our wealth. That is, we must protect our wealth, it does not carry or protect us. Our government is scrambling in order to protect the stock market and the economy. The Federal Reserve has taken unprecedented steps to try to keep the stock market from falling, to hold it up, to keep it in its place, as it were, so that the economy doesn't become ill-affected. The Congress has passed three stimulus plans in order to try and keep our economy strong, businesses from failing, and individuals financially afloat. The last of these uh, stimulus plans cost $2.2 trillion. The government, including the Federal Reserve has now pumped $6 trillion into our economy in trying to keep it strong. And this morning, there is already a talk of a fourth stimulus plan that might even have to be larger than the last that will be serving as a bailout to the states. The point is, Wealth can easily be lost. There are many things that can eat it away. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moss and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. If we're out of work for a period of time, it's not long before our savings are eaten away, that they dwindle, that they are used up. Our money can be stolen. With all the internet usage that is taking place, as many people are staying at home and live streaming and uh, watching videos and doing work online, the internet is taxed. Internet usage has increased so greatly that YouTube has announced that they have cut back the quality of their streaming due to the stress on its services and it most likely will affect even the quality of our live streaming our services today.
1: In addition, all this extra heavy internet
0: usage is making our accounts online more susceptible to hacking. At a time such as this, Our money is not protecting us. We are having to take extra measures to protect our money. You see the parallel here between the idols of the Old Testament and money in the New? That which we look to for protection, we ultimately have to protect. Because of the coronavirus, people's plans have to be changed. Trips that are planned now have to be canceled. Our family was expecting to take a family vacation to Martha's Vineyard this June, and now we're faced with a dilemma. Uh, We have a very large payment that is due April the 13th. Do we make that payment? Do we secure that reservation with the uncertainty of what's going to be happening in June? Do we lay out that money, or don't we? Reservations are temporal. People have planned cruises, and the cruise lines are closed down. In the book of 1 Peter, when we look at our God and the reservations he has made for us, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again according to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, fading, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That word to be kept, is the word for reserved. A reservation is made for us in heaven. A reservation that that will never need to be canceled. A reservation that no economic difficulty can ever cause to be canceled. It is protected by the power of God. So our application to this first section this morning is simple. Just like other false gods, Money is not the ultimate source of deliverance from tragedy. People, both rich and, sick, uh, rich and poor, are getting sick. Prince Charles and the Prime Minister of England both have the coronavirus. A princess in Spain has died of the coronavirus. Bankruptcy is a prospect for all too many small businesses. Large businesses are being protected and try to be bailed out by our government. Again, rather than money protecting us, we have to scramble to protect our wealth. Like idols of old, we are carrying our money. It is not carrying us. Our money does not deliver us from worry. In fact, it becomes a source of our worry. We become concerned about losing it. We wonder what's going to happen when it dries up. We become anxious because that which we have trusted in is failing us. There is so much uncertainty about the future especially when it comes to the economy. What is going to happen? What is going to be the long-term consequence of going further and further into debt as a nation with now, just recently, over $6 trillion added to the national debt? People wonder what is going to be the future of Social Security. What is going to happen with our paychecks, our businesses, our livelihood. How are things in the United States going to change? We have found, once again, that money cannot protect, money cannot keep. But the second great point in this text is that in contrast To the futility of trusting in idols, we have the profitableness of trusting in God. God carries us, we do not carry God. The first way in which that is demonstrated, namely that God carries us and that we do not carry God, is in the fact that God has made us, we did not make him. Isaiah 46 4. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. It starts with this reality, that they had made the idols, but God has made us. Psalm 103 states, Know ye not that the Lord he is God? He has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep. Of his pasture. God can care for us because he has made us. But not only has God made us, but he carries us. Remember the imagery of carrying this idol. Instead, God carries us. In our text, God has carried us, he is carrying us, and he will carry us. First, God has carried us before we were born. He saw the, our development in the womb. Isaiah 46.3 Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have born by me from before your birth. Before our birth, we were born or carried by God. Psalm 139.13 13 states, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, secret intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God, before we were born, had directed our lives as to how we were to be constructed. How we were to be formed. God is carrying us after our birth. Notice the end of verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Speaking of now that we have been born, now he continues to carry us. We don't have to carry God. We don't have to take God with us. For wherever we go, God is always there. Psalm 139, 7-10. to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So we have this picture of the idol who has to be lifted, carried, placed on a shelf, and remain there. Dependent upon the people. But our God, we do not carry. Wherever we go, he's always there, he's always with us. Even there, it says in verse 10 of Psalm 139, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. God holds us up. We don't have to prop him up. Right now, we're trying to prop up our economy. We're trying to prop up the stock exchange. We're trying to prop up our bank accounts. We're trying to keep them in place and safe. But God holds us up. Psalm 139, verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Every parent of a young child understands this incredible picture. If you have a young child that's unstable on their feet, oftentimes you'll reach down and you'll grab their hand. In reality, you're holding on to them. They're not holding on to you. And as that young child walks along beside you and and all of a sudden stumbles and is about to fall, you grab that hand and, and you just pull them up. And there they are, susten- suspended in space, with their little feet dangling, and you bring them safely back down to the ground again. God holds our hand. God keeps us from falling. God helps us in the time of our need and distress. God will continue to carry us even into our old age. Look with me again at Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, and now these words, even to your old age, I
1: am he. And to gray hairs, I am Will carry you. What hair I have is gray. I'm one of those
0: old people in our society. We are constantly being reminded that the most vulnerable
1: of those among us are the old and those with pre existing conditions. So what do you do when you're old and you have a pre-existing condition? You turn to a God who carried you before you were born, who carried you through all
0: life circumstances, trials, difficulties, joys, blessings, who has brought you to this place who has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you.
1: A God who carries us even when we're old. Even when our hairs are gray. He never abandons us.
0: He never forsakes us. He is right there with us. He can be trusted. For notice
1: At the end of verse four. Given to your old age, I am He, and in
0: gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear.
1: And now these words I will carry and will save. Our trust in God is not futile, He can deliver. He can help us. He can keep us
0: safe and secure. So in conclusion, we live in scary times. This morning I've focused more on the great financial uncertainty. I'm not insensitive to those who are struggling financially. It's very real. I know some of you are not able to work even at this time. And we don't know how long that's going to continue. We don't know what it's going to mean for our businesses or for our jobs. We don't know what $6 trillion of debt is going to do to our economy long-term. We don't know how long until things are going to get back to normal. But one great lesson that we should have learned if we haven't learned it already is the uncertainty of riches.
1: It's a false confidence, it's a false hope. We put on our currency and God we trust. That must be our hope, that must be our confidence. That's
0: what we must look to in the time of this difficulty and this hardship. Well I'm thankful for the steps that are being made. I'm grateful for uh, the intervention of the uh, Federal Reserve. I'm thankful for these bailout measures But the point is, the only constant in this ever-changing world is God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The point of the passage is, nothing is comparable to God. There is nothing like God. There is nothing that can replace our trust and confidence
1: in God. Looking for any other help, ultimately, is futile. It will disappoint us. It can't save. Only God can deliver. He
0: is always with us. His promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Turn to the Lord for your help in the midst of these trying, difficult financial days.